everybody, and welcome to episode number 105 of the Tuesday Night Comics Podcast, brought to you by TuesdayNightMovies.com. I'm Billy, and with me as always is Dave. Hey, guys. And uh, we are entering year three of the Tuesday Night Comics Podcast. Wow, yeah, like Batman year three. Did, yeah. they, did, did they ever do a year two? Or... They did I do didn't... a year two, but it, it was basically uh, written out of continuity. Um, yeah. I remember they did a year three. I, I had yeah. I picked those up in like a quarter bin. Year three is a pretty good. I picked them up. I, I remember buying them originally because it told uh, Dick Grayson's origin story. Yeah, and wasn't it like a Marv Wolfman written story? It was because um, it 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 was kind of like the prequel to Lonely Place of Dying, which you know really brought in Tim Drake as Robin. Right, right, right. Oh, cool. Yeah, um, year two. <clears throat> actually were really expensive back issues when we were growing up because uh, Todd McFarlane did the art on them or on half oh, of them. really? Yeah, it was Alan Davis did the art on half the issues and Todd McFarlane did the art on the other half of the issues. I know Todd McFarlane like did a bunch of Infinity Incorporated. Yes, uh, that, that's where he got his start. Um, yeah, I, there's like a really cool Dr. Fate cover he did. You know, he wasn't like in his like Todd McFarlane, you know, like, prime but right. like it was you know like it was still like you know solid anatomy and like he he had some cool design aspects which you would see grow later on in like spider-man and then spawn yeah it's uh it's interesting looking at his like pre-incredible hulk art mm -hmm. um in his batman art you definitely see the art style that would become spawn and spider-man but right. like yeah the infinity ink stuff uh he did it he did like a random issue of G.I. Joe and it's it's all like yeah it's very rough like you look at the art and it's just it's not it's not Todd McFarlane yet but it's shades of Todd McFarlane right <clears throat> uh but yeah Batman Year Two is a fun story Batman fights a villain that it, I think was the inspiration for the Phantasm and Batman Mask of the Phantasm was it Mask yeah. of the Phantasm or Mark of the Phantasm Mask of yeah right Mark of Zara, Mask of Phantasm. Um, but uh, unlike Mask of the Phantasm, the, it, 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 wasn't, um, it, it wasn't exactly, you know, it, I think Phantasm actually did a better job with the story. Though mm -hmm. um, the Reaper, who is the villain in Batman Year Two, definitely visually inspired the Phantasm with the skull mask and, you know, the, the skites for hands. Except mm -hmm. uh, in Batman Year Two, the Skies doubled in machine guns as well. <laughs> nice. Yeah. The main reason I think that the story was written out of continuity is because Batman uses a gun in it. Uh. Yeah. On, it, on the cover of um, Year Two Part One, it's Batman like it's an Alan Davis cover. He's wearing a shoulder holster and holding like a a, a, a pistol, you know, a semi-automatic pistol. And then, uh, yeah, and then there's another Alan Davis cover where he's like cut up by the Reaper, but still, you know, holding that gun and holding it fiercely. Yeah, didn't I think Batman used guns like early in his creation too? Yes, and I think this was paying homage to that. Um, right, which is like whenever like Batman uses something that's like somewhat like a gun, like fans get like outraged at Batman would never use a gun, and like you know, there's there's. A, a bit of history with him using guns and yeah. you know like i know some people were upset with the 
Batman Superman trailer and he uses like some gun type machine, you know, like, you know, I'm sure it's just somebody wants somebody something to complain about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But when Batman was first created, he definitely did use guns. And it, I always find it weird because they make such a big deal of like, you know, Batman doesn't use guns, Batman doesn't use guns. And then like the Batwing has giant machine guns on it. <laughs> like, like, yeah, these are like they, 50 caliber. And they're they shoot rubber bullets. That r- rubber 50 caliber bullets. <laughs> Like, that will explode your skull but oh but yeah yeah they'll blow up like a martian aircraft but, but don't <laughs> worry it's not a real gun right right yeah um but yeah batman year two is a fun story i think it is available digitally it, it might not be uh the the best covers for it i think are definitely a part one where it's just batman very stoically holding up a pistol and then uh part four part one is the cover by alan davis and then part four is when McFarlane came in for parts three and four mm. and uh, part four is the cover where he is holding a gun in one hand and a uh, one of the Reapers skives in the other and his cape is very bat-like like this is definitely you're like oh wow this get this got this McFarlane guy is doing some cool art yeah his art in it McFarlane's art in year two looks a lot like um who's that guy who uh he drew, he, he came to fame drawing Moon Knight in the late 90s and then went on to draw uh, Prophet Steven something. Steven Drew, maybe? I'm not sure. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, very Todd McFarlane, like, like stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Stephen Platt. Um, early Todd McFarlane looks like Stephen Platt, which is why I never got why people got so excited for Stephen Platt, because he looked like a very rough Todd McFarlane, nowhere near as <laughs> But I, I remember when those Moon Knight issues came out, they like immediately became like $20 comics. And like <laughs> his first issue, the cover of it, it looks like Moon Knight's being like bathed in bathed in uh in like milk, but it's just somebody like shooting up his uh shooting up his cape. But the way the cape <laughs> is like flying in the air, it looks like someone's just pouring milk on Moon Knight's head. Gross. Yeah, yeah, gross, exactly. Um, but yeah. I, but I digress. So we're entering year three. This is the year where Dave and I uh, take an award and um, possibly a fun from the circus. So if you see Dave and myself hanging out at the circus, it's we're just looking for a award, you know, an orphan that we can take in and tutor in the ways of podcasting. Right. Yeah. Totally not weird. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, so, Dave, I want to talk about some movies because you saw a movie that I've already seen, and I just saw a movie that you've already seen. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is yeah. very true. So you, you saw Star Wars this past weekend, right? I did. I did see it. It was the the last movie you saw of the year. Uh, yeah, that is true. <laughs> I saw Joy uh, this past Sunday, mm. but that, that was the first movie of the new year. How was Joy? I almost saw that movie. So uh, I, I liked it a lot, a whole lot. Nice. Now, what did you think of Silver Linings Playbook and American Hustle? Um, I saw Silver Linings Playbook. I enjoyed it. Um, I liked Joy better. And I didn't see American Hustle just because it just looked like, you know, if I want to see um, a Martin Scorsese movie, I'll go see a Martin Scorsese movie. <laughs> that is a great way to, to look at that movie. I did see that movie, and that's how I walked out of it. I was like, if I want to see Goodfellas or Casino, I'd watch Goodfellas or Casino. Yeah, I mean, I'm still like interested to see it because I think he's an interesting 
director and you know like i i enjoyed both movies of his that i i've, I've seen right and so yeah so he you know also, i might get around to it sometime did he also do the fighter um i don't know okay so maybe not but i enjoyed the heck out of the fighter <laughs> <laughs> um uh, but okay so you saw star wars and yes did you like star wars i did like it nice um i i feel like um it is not like, I feel like a lot of the reviews that I've seen online or like, you know, at least in my Facebook feed and their feed like that, it's the best Star Wars movie yet. That's um, crazy. Uh, I was like, ah, uh, like very like, like, cause I didn't, I, I went out of my way to like, not see any spoilers. Right. Um, and now can we talk spoilers a little bit? Yeah, the movie's been out a couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to go too in depth. As of, it was, as of Monday morning, it was twenty million dollars away from being beating Avatar for the number one movie of all time. So I feel at this point everyone's seen it. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I agree that like most people who listen to this podcast probably have seen it, and if not, yeah. like you know. They know, how to, they know how to hit that fast forward button. Right, right. So, um, you know, my, I, I enjoyed it, like, as a, as a fan of Star Wars. It, like, hit all the right notes. Um, I, I love that, like, the new characters are, like, not the same uh, white guys as the old characters like there's a there's a woman there's a, a black man you've got like you know you're being more inclusive in your your heroes and mm. um it, it's not you know luke and han again you know and uh it it takes a different perspective from a stormtrooper and uh you know so i liked all like the little twists on like these archetypes that have been set up in star wars yeah. um but the bummer for me was that like probably a quarter way through the movie i was like okay i know every beat of this movie yeah okay i could see that um, um I, don't get me wrong like i enjoyed it like i enjoyed the the heck out of it like i had a, I had a blast going to see but like you know, like I would have enjoyed it better if I, it, when, when we left the movie, um, uh, our friend Gary, who like is not a Star Wars fan, uh, like, I mean, he enjoyed the movies, but like, he's not someone who rewatches the movies or like, you know, uh, so he goes, uh, isn't, wasn't this the same as the first Star Wars movie? And we were like, yeah, yeah, it was. And he's like, He's like, because it was weird, because like I had this weird like deja vu feeling through the whole thing. Like I've seen this movie before, and he's like, and I just I didn't know if like I was crazy about that or <laughs> I, was, I was, you know, like he he was a little like, am I on the nose or not? And we were like, no, you're you were on the nose, like you know, and so like that was like the you know the disappointing part. Like it it really felt like uh, you know like an old sequel where yeah. um you have uh you know same you know different different characters same plot you know yeah, same thing just bigger <laughs> right it's kind of how i felt about star killer base where they literally showed on screen 
here's the Death Star, you know, it was about the size of a moon compared to Star Kobe, which was like the size of a planet. Um, and it, it was like, it's like, oh, Death Star has to travel to the planet, you know, and then blow it up. And Star Kobe, it's just like, stay still and can blow up five planets from like where it's sitting. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was weird. It's a fine line between like paying homage to the originals and wow, we're getting like really into, I feel like I know what's coming territory. Right, right. And I think we talked a little bit about uh, what Greg Rucka had said uh, in this interview that I had listened to. And he was talking about people like guessing the end of something. And he's like, if you guess the end of like one of my stories or novelist stories, he's like, it doesn't mean it's a bad story. It means either A, you're a good reader or, mm -hmm. or end B, that, you know, the writer is following the correct path to go. Um, someone is always going to figure out the end. He said, or else you get, you know, an M. Night Shyamalan movie right. where like the whole point is that he's going to trick you at the end. He's like, which, you know, gets old after about two movies. Um, and so like with this, like, I was like, oh, you know, and I was thinking about that, that idea. And I was like, oh, well, I kind of feel like, uh, you know, because he was talking about it's about the journey that you go on with yeah. the characters and i'm like but i've been on this journey before hmm, that's um, your point. and so that's that was the only thing that that disappointed me you know and you look at like george lucas's prequels which you know didn't do that they did they told a whole new story but like it was a little off mark you know and so yeah. you know part of me wonders did the studio go let's swing in the exact opposite direction <laughs> let's give the fans what they want and like really what you want is something in between the two like those homages you know when when han is like you know oh a trash compactor you're like ah! you know like those are those are great fan service moments that like made me smile and like i wouldn't want taken out um but the the story as a whole i wish was a little different um and the only thing that excites me is that you know now you have characters that are remixed you know they, they all have like a little bit of a different place of origin, but they have like very similar, you know, personalities or origins to Han and Luke, but you know, they yeah. come places. It, and it sets it up for like the next movie to be something completely different, which I hope is where it will go. Yeah, me too. Um, and it's a good thing that, point that you bring up about the characters, you know, like, it's funny, I, I don't remember which comic book creator it was, but somebody, like, went on a rant on Facebook and was like, oh, this is a total retread. Like, Ray is clearly Luke, and Poe is clearly Han. And, um, and, and I was like, but that's funny, because I thought, when I was watching the movie, I saw more Han and Ray, you know, than Luke. Yeah, Ray ends up on, with Luke holding a lightsaber at the end. She grew up on a desert planet. Um, doesn't know who her parents are. Yes, that is very Luke-like. But the way she is with, like, self-sufficiency and brashness, you know, and confidence is, like, not Luke at all. And, like, to me, it was total Han. Right. And I see, like, a lot of uh, Luke in um, uh, Finn. Yeah. But I also see, like, when he, like, stays behind, I'm like, you're totally Leia! <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, yeah, I think it's really cool that, you know, that they, they 
mixed it up and gave attributes not exact like not exact carbon copy of Luke or Han, right. but you know they fill those those roles. Um, and so um, yeah, so uh, the the one thing that we were laughing about at the end was where Luke's just staring over the cliff, right? <laughs> and uh, Gary's like, "What was he doing there?" Like, does he just go up and like look off the cliff? Like, that's what he does. Like, why? Why would he do that? And I was like, well, it, it would be funny. Pretty, it was a rather pretty view. It, it's true, but if you live there, like, you know, yeah. yeah. I was like, I well, maybe I, he. I, that I, was I, his peeing spot. Like, maybe oh. he. Like, like that, it would be funny if he just turned around and was like zipping up and like, oh, excuse me, sorry. I went to a much darker place and was like, oh, he's about to kill himself. <laughs> it was like, goodbye, cruel universe. You've taken my father, my adopted father, and all my friends from me, and my one of my hands. I'm ending this now. And then, like, the moment Falcon shows up. <laughs> yeah. I, I really did like that uh, in the trailer, in that first trailer that we got in Thanksgiving of 2014, uh, it ended with Han and Chewie, and Han says, Chewie, we're home. And I remember thinking, like, where, where are they? Like, where is home? Like, where are they going? And it did not occur to me that, oh, home is the Millennium Falcon, and they at some point lost the Millennium Falcon until I saw the movie. Because when the Millennium Falcon is just buzzing around that planet, I assumed Han and Chewie were the ones piloting it, you know, not Ray and Finn. Right, right. Yeah. I, I really did like, you know, Finn was totally Luke in the Falcon, in the gunner's position, um, you know, learning how to like do that for the first time. It was an interesting, I would, I would almost call The Force Awakens like Star Wars the remix. Right. You know, it, it really, uh, it's very comparable to that first Star Trek movie that J.J. Abrams did where, yeah. you know, it, it was a remake in a lot of ways more than a continuation you know like um in in um in spirit in some ways you know what i mean right. um obviously different characters and, and all that type of stuff but you know and i have problems with jj abrams star trek movies as well um and you know so i, I don't think you know i'm, I'm faulting just the Star Wars, but like uh, he he does a lot of fan service, and sometimes I feel like it could get in the way of like uh, a new or different story. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. I uh, I it's funny because I thought that Into Darkness, the second J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie, definitely you know that was basically like paying tribute to Wrath of Khan, but it didn't feel like I was watching Wrath of Khan a second time. No, it, it didn't. But like at the same time, like after, you know, much like this Star Wars movie that it set up this new group of characters and I'm like, where are they going to go? And where I didn't want them to go was Wrath of Khan. You know, right. I, it, I wasn't thinking that I didn't enjoy the movie or it wasn't a good movie, but like what I wanted to see was a new bunch of adventures where they're talking about society uh, through the lens of science fiction, you know, uh, you know, not trying to retread on stuff that fans love, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where, like, I get bummed out. 
about it a little bit. And so uh, that's also what I'm hopeful for in this new Star Trek movie, where it looks like, you know, you have uh, uh, a basic Star Trek premise, but maybe they're going to be talking about, you know, some social relevant stuff in this one, because it seems, you know, that's what is what Star Trek seems like a, a vehicle to do in, in a lot of its shows um, or, or think of new concepts and stuff like that. And I, I hope where, you know, I don't see any old villains or um, threats in this new movie. Um, I, right. hope, I hope we, we see something more than an action movie in this. Yeah, no, I agree. And we're talking about Star Trek Beyond here now, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, as for the next movie, like while I felt that there was a lot of, um, you know, direct homage playing to the original Star Wars movie and also to Return of the Jedi, uh, I also felt like it, you, you did set up like a lot of mystery. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like who was that guy that Poe was talking to at the beginning of the movie who clearly, I think, was who was watching over Rey, you know, um, and it's probably who brought Rey to that planet. I'm guessing he has some kind of link to like Luke Jedi Academy. Right. Uh, and uh, like who the Supreme Leader Snokes is. Uh, it doesn't seem like he is anyone from either the original trilogy or the prequels. And from the way he taught, I, I, I was reading a good article on Flipboard um, in the novelization for The Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. he, he talks about the empire coming to power and all like the problems that the empire had. So it sounds like he's been around for a while. Like he saw the Republic fall and saw the Empire rise and lived through the entire Empire and then basically waited for the Empire to fall and now is starting his own thing. Um, so it should be interesting to find out like just who Snokes is and where he comes from. Right. And I'm get and like and and some kind of redemption story for Kylo Ren. Um, I don't know if I, I hope we don't get him a scene of him picking up the Supreme Leader and the Supreme Leader Snokes and throwing him down a pit, a la Darth Vader and the Emperor and Return of the Jedi. Right, right. <laughs> but you would hope that he's, his redemption is somehow instrumental in like defeating the bigger evil. Right. Or does he not get redeemed? Yeah, it's a, it's a fine line to walk. Like whatever you do, it's like, oh, you did that because they did that in the original movies or, oh, you did that to differentiate yourself from the original movies. Right, and I guess that's the danger that you play in setting up all these characters so closely to right. the original characters. Yeah, totally. Um, now, moving on to a movie that you saw already that I just saw for the first time, which is nowhere near as universally regarded as Star Wars The Force Awakens, is uh, the latest Fantastic Four movie, the one um, that was you know scoring a nine percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes on its opening weekend. And oh I, right, right. So I saw that on my flight down to Jamaica, uh, courtesy of JetBlue. I was like, "Ooh, Fantastic Four!" I'm like, "I could watch a half hour of this. And we'll see how it goes." Right, and I think I had that like awkward position where I wasn't arguing that it was a great movie, but I was like, "What's well, that? It was an entertaining movie. It wasn't bad. I didn't like yeah. like bored or I didn't hate it like." there shouldn't be this much outrage over you know there there definitely should not be this much outrage over that movie and it's funny because uh voodoo on instagram was like you could stream movies on voodoo like fantastic four and all the comments were like yo bro you picked the wrong movie everyone knows this movie sucks 
And, and it's funny, I saw that right after seeing this movie. And I was like, I wonder how many people who are commenting, I actually left a comment there. I was like, how many people who commented here actually saw the movie? Because right. I, I didn't think it was great. I thought it was definitely better than the previous two Fantastic Four movies. It's, Agreed. it's not the worst Fantastic Four movie. It's not the second worst Fantastic Four movie. It's better than like the 1990s TV series too. <laughs> like, let's just put this out there. The Fantastic Four, moving them from comics to film has not, like, even to animation, has not been that great. Right. Like, I would put this above many other, like, Marvel this, movies that have come out that people aren't, like, as, like, have so much hatred over it. Yeah, I, uh, like, I would, I enjoyed this more than either of the Wolverine movies. Like, people should be angry about those movies. Right, um, but they don't seem to be. They're like, let's roll out another one. And everyone's like, we're so excited for it. Maybe yeah. this one will be good. And I, <laughs> yeah, and I thought that Fantastic Four actually set up like a next movie really well. So it was kind of a bummer realizing that a couple of weeks ago, Fox is like, yeah, we're not doing another Fantastic Four movie. Anyways. Yeah, that, that was a bit of a bummer, but you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, I guess if it ends up in the hands of Marvel themselves, you know, maybe we'll get the best Fantastic Four movie we've ever seen. Yeah. That would be great. But, you know, until then, like, guys, this was not horrible. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was, I, I put it on par with Man of Steel. Yeah, I would just say, like, if you want to go watch an entertaining movie, it was an entertaining movie. It was a yeah. little unbalanced. Um, it wasn't the exact, Fantastic Four from the comics, um, but it was entertaining. Yeah, it uh, like I thought basically until you got to the climactic battle at the end with Doctor Doom. Um, I just didn't like Doctor Doom's costume, but I didn't like it for the same reason I didn't like the Green Goblin's costume in Sam Raimi's original Spider-Man movie. And it was just yeah. the, the mask didn't move, and it made him look like a Power Rangers villain. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Like, yeah. it, like uh, masks like that are hard to face masks that have like a face are hard to translate into into film because either they look like a hockey goalie's mask like they had in in spider-man and fantastic four with their villains or you have to make them cgi and they move around or you have to give much less close-ups yeah yeah you know or, like or put more, like put more detail on the mask like not have them be hollow-eyed with you know like like at least in the comics like you see a lot of even in somebody like cause some people do show emotion in the mask on dr doom and iron man when they draw in spider-man 2 um but some people like in the current secret wars comic the mask doesn't move with doom's face but you know uh the uh, artist on secret wars just draws so much emotion in his eyes that like you see that well look at kylo ren or Darth right. Vader, like, you know, they have no emotions in their masks, but what they w weren't doing was showing close-ups of their masks, yeah. you know, uh, to show emotion, but they were using body language. Mm. And, you know, I, I think that's, you know, that's as much point. of the director's fault as it is, like, maybe, like, not a great costume. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I didn't think of that. Yeah, Darth Vader, one of the, one of the best designed villains ever, um, doesn't show emotion in his face is just right. an unfeeling mask but yeah he definitely shows emotion through all three of those movies right yeah usually anger <laughs> <laughs>
It also helps when James Earl Jones is doing your voice. Right. Yeah. I, I so, agree. Uh, Star, it, it seems like what Dave and I are saying is the new Star Wars movie is not as good as everyone is saying it is, though it is really good. And the Fantastic Four movie is not as bad as everyone thinks it is, though it's not that great. Right. I would say if I was a kid now, I would love the new Star Wars movie above all else. Oh, totally. Um, um, but had, like, as for like someone who has seen all the Star Wars movies, eh, it's all right. Yeah. Uh, as someone who's seen all the Star <laughs> Wars good. movies, I, I was entertained. You know, like it's definitely the fourth best one. Yes. You know, and it, and it is closer to Return of the Jedi quality than it is to, um, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the prequels just because I hate them so much. <laughs> Revenge of the Sith quality. Like yeah. I, I would put it closer to being the number three movie than being the number five movie. If the story were different, it would yeah. have been number one. I don't I, like honestly. I don't think you'll ever make a Star Wars movie better than the original Star Wars. Uh, I, I people could, like will say, and I I felt this way for a while too. That you know the depth of Empire Strikes Back and the tone of it just you know makes it a better movie than the first. The first is where you get everything, you know, and it's such like a great, it's a movie that stands on its own, unlike any of the sequels or prequels. Um, and it's uh, it, like, you just get this terrific story. Like, I, I think out of all of them, Star Wars is the best one. Mm. Yeah. I, think it, I think it goes Star Wars, Empire Jedi, and then Force Awakens, and then Revenge of the Sith. And then after that, I don't know. I, I don't want to have to watch episodes one and two again to tell you which one's better. <laughs> yeah, like, no, like, I would agree. That, that seems like self-flagellation. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, a, that's, a good, that's a good order to put them in. Yeah. Now just to, uh, since we talked about movies so much, let's just talk about some, some cool comics news that came out this week. Uh, Skybound, Skybound, and Image announced that there's going to be a, a one to zero variant of Walking Dead number 150. And I thought this was like some kind of typo because it was zeros, a one to zero, 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 zero variant of Walking Dead number 150, a retailer incentive. Um, basically any retailer who orders at least zero copies, that's zero or more of Walking Dead number 150 will get an exclusive variant cover of it. Wow. So, this is kind of nice that, like, compared to some variants, like the Batman um, Dark Knight 3 number one variant, which had a, uh, a hand-drawn sketch by Jim Lee, required 5,000, I think, copies to be ordered. Wow. Is that a one th yeah, I think it was 5,000 copies of number one. I was like, 5,000 copies of the entire series seems like a lot for a lot of stories. Like, <laughs> unless you're Midtown Comics or Mile High Comics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one to zero. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And uh, and that's a, like not much news out this week besides that. Um, so let's go right into the 20. All right. Well, I have like not a lot in my 20. Interesting. <laughs> um, oh, goodness, Dave. There's yeah. so, I, I had to like cut books out. I'm going to tell you books to buy. Real, well, because there are a lot of good like new series debuting this week too. Um, yeah, I mean, like 
for me, it was, you know, um, a force number one, I was, was interested to see where that, uh, you know, how that takes place in the Marvel universe. And I've been buying green arrow and green arrow number 48, uh, comes out, which, uh, takes place after the annual. So I guess the annual that I was talking about a couple of weeks ago, where I was like, I don't understand where this sits in the series. Like, I guess it takes place like three months down the line or whatever. Um, but yeah, those are the uh, two books that I'm interested. In. So I have seven dollars right now. Huh. I'm surprised the damn band number six didn't make your list. I thought you were enjoying that series. I was, but then I fell off, and then I was like, ah, you know, like it's one of those things where I'm like, I don't know what I want to buy. Right, I hear you. Um, it's yeah. It, there's a lot of a lot of new books coming out this week, and a lot like a lot of, not only a lot of new books, but a lot of new series coming out this week. A lot of new series that I won't be picking up. Um, including Swamp Thing by Len Wein and Kelly Jones, which basically came right out of Convergence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, so, wow, short 20. Like you, I am also picking up A-Force number one. Unlike you, I have $20 of books in my 20. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it is, uh, yeah, I, I'm really excited for this because I was excited for A-Force when it first debuted. Um, but then it turned out like they announced a force before they had, we knew what secret wars was. And then like when it was taking place on battle world, it just seemed like it didn't count. Like it seemed fake. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like, like the secret wars miniseries, while they were entertaining, they didn't seem like they mattered. Um, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like if somebody like few, I really felt like they were just like really fun series that, you know, and and I'm and I'm all for that, you know, like a, just a fun story because you know, like yeah. we read Zatanna Black Canary last week, which was like an out of continuity, you know, fun story with great art, and you know, like who cares that that didn't matter, you know? Right. And, and I'm not saying that the first A4 series wasn't good because it didn't matter. It's just that it it started off in like it, it's such a strong concept, and to start it off on Battle World, I thought made it like a little lesser. Um, right. So I, I and I am excited for this. I really do like Jorge Molina's art. Uh, G Willow Wilson, you know, has been kicking, knocking it, kicking it out of the park, uh, hitting it out of the park with Ms. Marvel. So uh, surprising, we don't get Ms. Marvel. You know, no Kamala Khan in this series. Maybe we'll get a guest appearance from her. But the team is She-Hulk, uh, Captain Marvel, aka Carol Danvers, Dazzler, Medusa, and Nico Minoru from Runaways. Uh, the only thing I'm not like digging about this is Dazzler's current costume. Mm. I, feel like, I feel like she changes costumes so often. I, I'm just I'm not I'm not digging this redesign. I think Dazzler's costume peaked in that with that like blue spandex jumpsuit she wore in the uh, like the 1980s and 90s. Um, <laughs> like, I think she should go back to that. Like I, that, to me, that's Dazzler. Yeah, D- definitely don't go back to the roller skate disco era, Dazzler. <laughs> uh, yeah. But okay, so we got that. We've got Spider-Man Deadpool number one by Joe Kelly and Ed McGinnis. Um, Joe Kelly and Ed McGinnis on Deadpool again is cause for celebration. Like, I think Joe, like every Deadpool fan, Joe Kelly deserves your thanks because he is the guy who made Deadpool into the funny character that he is. He's the one who you know, made him break the fourth wall for the first time. He's the one who made him not like a second-rate Deathstroke. He made him funny. Like, 
Right. He, he was the Merc with the mouth when he first debuted, but it was just because he had really big word balloons, and it was like he was more annoying than anything. It was when <laughs> Kelly and McGinnis were on this his series together that like Deadpool really came on his own. Right. Uh, and the, the best issue ever of Deadpool was Deadpool number 12 from that era where uh, Dead, they basically cut up a bunch, they cut up an issue of Spider-Man from the 1960s and uh, just re-dialogued it. And it was basically Deadpool had traveled in time. It was disguised as Peter Parker. So, you know, Gwen and Harry are all talking to him with like standard dialogue. And he's just making fun of Harry's hair and is like talking about wanting to sleep with Gwen. It, it's really it's <laughs> a tremendous issue worth reading by everybody. It is on Comixology. The print version is hard to find. It's like a $50 comic, possibly yeah. even higher. Uh, definitely worth $1.99 on Comixology. All right, next up, Contest of Champions number four. You've I'm been loving this series. I might even say I'm a champion of this series. <laughs> There's no contest about it. This is worth your $4. Um, written by Al Ewing, art by Paco Medina. This, this creative team, I, they, they're, they're just tremendous on this book. If you are playing the video game, you need to read this comic. It won't make you any better at the video game, but you will definitely enjoy the heck out of it. Then we've got Rocket Raccoon and Groot number one by Scotty Young and Felipe Andrade. Um, Scotty Young was writing the Rocket Raccoon series. Now it's evolved into Rocket Raccoon and Groot. Groot was in the original Rocket Raccoon series anyway, so it's not like much is changing here. Right. It would be cool if, if he was also drawing it, uh, just because I, I like his art so much. Um, and then, so I'm making an audible here. I was originally going to get Green Lantern number 48. The, the Billy Tan cover just struck me. It's uh, written by Robert Vendetti, art by Martin Coccolo, and basically Hal Jordan comes back to Earth and he's going to team up with Batman. And I was like, oh, is it going to be Batman from... Um, Dark Side War, like in his Mobius chair. Right, and right. So I really enjoyed their interactions in Justice League, this week's yeah. Justice League. Um, but no, it's Jim Gordon Batman. Oh. So I was like, oh, I'm interested in seeing this. But then as I was scanning the release list for things that you should be picking up, Dave, I said, you know what? I'm not going to get Green Lantern number 48 because Dark Horse is now releasing Lone Wolf 2100, volume two, number one. Um, the first volume of this was got really good reviews. I didn't get a chance to read it, but I'm really um, interested in reading this. This is basically Lone Wolf and Cub set in the future. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I never read Lone Wolf and Cub. I read the uh, the first like six volumes of it when Dark Horse was putting out the little digest with the cool new covers by Frank Miller. Right. Uh, it's a great series, at least what I've read of it. I, I know Nick Doyle has read the whole thing and he loves it. Uh, yeah, it's one of those series where, like, if it ever goes on sale in Comixology, I might end up spending, you know, like $100 to buy the whole series. Mm. Uh, yeah, so, that, so that's it for me, exactly 20 bucks. Wow. I'm, I'm guessing there's going to be a big DC sale, and that's where you're going to be spending your other 13 Well, you know, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's funny, as I was scrolling through here, I see there's a bunch of Star Trek comics, or maybe it's two different Star Trek comics, just with a bunch of different covers coming out from IDW. And at, while we were talking about uh, Star Trek, you know, remakes uh, earlier on the episode, it struck me that, like, Jonathan Hickman would be the perfect Star Trek comic book writer. Like, yeah. The I think way he approaches science and science fiction. Yeah, like that, yeah. I think that's a, a good call. 
Yeah, if if he wasn't you know tied down to an exclusive with Marvel, or like if if Marvel ever got the crossover rights to doing like Star Trek, uh, X Men or Star Trek Star Wars, right? You think that Jonathan Hickman would be perfect for it. Um, and so, somebody recently pointed out it might have actually been Jonathan Hickman that Star Wars is like even though it's science fiction, there's not much science in it. Oh yeah, I always refer to Star Wars as like science fantasy. Yeah, totally. Um, it's much more swashbuckling. Yeah, it's it's very like princes and princesses and wizards, knights and wizards and magic, and it's not, you know, um, it's not very science based mm. outside of spaceships. You know, like it's set and in a, in a in a traditional science fiction environment, but like the story is much more of a fantasy element. Yeah, totally. I agree with you one hundred percent there. Um, now we've got a new installment of the Tuesday night book club and last week we read Black Canary Zatanna this week we read Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot the, the Dark Horse collection yeah by, written by Frank Miller art by Jeff Darrow what'd you think? I'd never read this before uh, neither have I um, and the art was just like what took me about the book and what like made me take my time with the book was the art how detailed it was and how gorgeous it was. Oh, totally. I, I love Jeff Darrow's artwork. Uh, he's at New York Comic Con often, and he had donated a piece to the art auction two years ago that I ended up buying. It was just a pinup of Spider-Man and Rusty. Mm. And even though it was just the two of them, like he had so much detail just like in Spider-Man's webs and stuff. Yeah. I, be uh, I believe it. I mean, looking at everything he's, he did here, it's just... It, like all the details just so so amazing and you know um i don't know where he sits in like a timeline of things but like i, I feel like frank quietly owes a lot to jeff darrow oh totally when frank quietly first came on the scene like that was jeff darrow was the first person i thought of when i looked at his art um and uh the story itself was like good but it almost felt like it was It took a lot for a very little story to happen. <laughs> yeah, I'll agree with you on that. I, I, I found it to be more of like a parody of monster movies than anything else. Like I thought Frank Miller's dialogue was spot on. Um, like I it can was, see that, yeah. This was, I think this is, when this was written back in like the mid to late 90s, to me, this is Miller at his best as far as dialogue is concerned because this is when he was doing Sin the Sin City books, and those had really sharp dialogue. And it, you, it's funny, you compare these, like, these three issues that are collected here to, say, like, All-Star Batman and Robin. Mm -hmm. And this seems like a really well-done parody, while All-Star Batman and Robin seems like a parody of a Frank Miller comic. Right. I can see. I, I totally see what you're saying there. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, I just... I, I kind of like so it was it was like I enjoyed the story. I wish there was a little bit more meat to it, though I enjoyed like I was chuckling to myself as, as I was reading the book. I was also enjoying the art. And uh, when I got to the end, I was like, man, like, that's it. I was like, except for that cartoon series that was on like Fox Kids back. Uh, yeah, what is this cartoon series? I, you had mentioned this before we recorded. I, have, I do not remember it at all. 
Yeah, I think it was only like one season. And I believe it was on Fox on Saturday mornings. Um, and it was The Adventures of, you know, I don't know if it was called The Adventures, but I think it was just called, you know, Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot. Yeah, it's called Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot. Yeah, I, I somehow just like missed this completely. Yeah, and you know, I remember when it was on and I never watched it, but now I'm like, oh, you know, I'd be interested to watch it because it's almost like this was the origin. And then I feel like if you have a whole season of that, these characters, that is the next step of, you know, what happens to them. Yeah. Uh, it ran for two seasons oh, okay. uh, between September of 99 and March of 2001 for a total of 26 episodes. Wow. Yeah. So, I don't, yeah. I don't I, know I, if they're available anywhere. Yeah, I need to hunt this down and see if it's like on Netflix or something. Right. I, I, really, I really wish somebody would make a website that basically told you if something was on, like, where it's streaming. Like, is it on Netflix? Is it on Hulu? Is yeah, on Amazon. Well, you have well the new Apple TV has that ability. Oh, okay, that's so, really cool. Um, if you so, so if I should not create this website. This is how I was planning my retirement. Was right, right. Website. You should not create that website. Uh, yeah. if, if you um, talk into uh, the the new remote control, right. uh, 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 the Apple TV, um, you could ask Siri things now, like. So I was like, Siri, I want to watch The Flash just to test it. And so what comes up is like a screen of uh, like the things you could choose, like The Flash, Flash Gordon. And like, you know, it's the CW Flash and it's the old 90s TV series Flash and it's the Flash Gordon movie. And mm -hmm. so like I chose the CW Flash that's coming now. And it shows, you know, seasons one and two, uh, you know, iTunes and then it shows like it, it shows whatever app you have on have downloaded to your Apple TV it searches that so it tells you what seasons were on each app that I have oh awesome so it says like season one Netflix uh, season two Hulu and then it says season one and two iTunes and then you could like pick through them oh that's awesome damn yeah it. so I, I think that exists, but I wanted to invent that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that's something that's going to be, you know, uh, implemented uh, like on Roku's and you know all the other different platforms. You'll you'll see that you know totally. come out down the line. But yeah, it's a it's a really nice feature of the new Apple TV. Oh, sure it is. Just because like I'm like I, I yeah I, I have Amazon Prime, I have Netflix, and I have Hulu, and a lot of times a lot of times they share the same content but then other times you know unless it's like original programming like daredevil you know where that's going to be um right. i'm like all right is it on this one no it's not on this one okay is it on hulu no it's not on, on hulu is it on amazon no okay yeah, that's where it is. right and it's also nice like uh we just watched field of dreams for the first time well i didn't but my wife did and so i asked where is field of dream uh, like where can i watch field of dreams and we have the hbo app and it's on hbo right now so like um I didn't have to, it was either HBO or iTunes. So like right. in the past, I might've just went straight to iTunes and bought it for, or rented it for like two bucks. Right. And now I didn't wait $2. Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Ha ha, take that Apple. Wait a second, yeah. I'm, an, I'm an Apple shareholder. I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, but uh, no, that's, that sounds fantastic. Um, yeah. Now, I, yeah, I agree with you. Going back to Rusty, a big guy in Rusty the Blade Robot, I will never get the title of this right. I keep calling it Rusty and big guy and whatever. Anyway, um, I agree with you. The art, the art is fantastic. It's, it's hyper detailed. It is a perfect comic to read on an iPad on Comixology because yeah. you can just zoom in and just see like all the, the amount of work that goes into every panel that Jeff Darrow draws. And so if you, if you zoom in a little too far, then you lose some of the magic, but it's like, just like looking at how much detail he puts in with water drops on that backup story, like when they're fighting on the beach mm -hmm. and like the amount of droplets of water that are like just being thrashed about as big guy and uh, this monster fight in the ocean. Like it's, it's nuts. It, it, there's, there's more ink there than a lot of other artists use on like entire pages. <laughs> I agree. And uh, if this didn't, um, influence Jeff John's Stars and Stripe uh, visually. Oh, totally. I, I, don't, I, I couldn't tell you what did. Yeah, the costume, well, is, the costume and, design seems to come straight from this. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, it's actually Yankee Poodle and, uh, and uh, Big Guy. Nice. Um, I really, Yankee Poodle, that's funny. Did you? No, I'm, I'm serious. Did you, uh, I wasn't really joking with that. Oh, if really? you look at uh, uh, the old funny animal comic, uh, Captain, Carrot. Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew, there is a like Wonder Woman type knockoff character called Yankee Poodle, who was a poodle yeah. who dressed in like Star Spangled Duds. And it is the Star Spangled Kids costume. That's funny. I just found, I just Googled Yankee Poodle. And um, somebody on DeviantArt had drawn Yankee Poodle like a beach pinup of her in a bikini. And oh, oh my God, there's a lot of Yankee Poodle like good girl art <laughs> and the related images that come up. Um, that is That's weird. kind of disturbing. Yeah, one of them has Yankee Poodle like with her bikini undone and like a martini glass next to her. She is, her, she is uh, you know, chest down because... Hey, she's just trying to sunbathe. A lot of these have her with her, her uh, bikini undone, not showing anything. Oh, all by the same artist. I see. That's why. It's just, I thought it was a bunch of guys who are obsessed with with topless Yankee Poodle. Turns out it's one guy, and one of these she's topless, facing away from the viewer, but is also wearing a thong, which is really weird when you have a poodle tail that comes out in the, from the middle of the thong. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. Charles at and Tigger, you are an interesting individual and clearly have a love of Yankee Poodle uh, and filling a niche that is not being filled by anybody else. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but it's very a very similar costume to uh, Star Spangled Kid slash Stargirl. Oh, and yeah, totally. her initial powers were shooting stars and that's what Yankee Poodle did. Yeah, 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 I see it. Yeah, I see that. Uh, that's funny. I thought you were joking with Yankee Poodle at first because I did remember the character, and uh, yeah, she shot stars and stripes, and then yep. also, also was a beach a beach babe, according to this one <laughs> deviant artist who's putting de who's really putting the deviant in deviant art. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, 
Uh, it also, I really like the like the fake cover gallery of uh, Big Guy and Rusty through the years. Like we got to see like Golden Age covers and Silver Age covers. Well, I think that's where it started. I was reading up on the series in uh, on Wikipedia, mm-hmm. and apparently Jeff Darrow was doing these pinups in like in the back of like Hellboy comics or something like that. Oh, interesting. We're like, we want this comic. We want this comic, and that's kind of like you know all those pinups came first oh, and, I didn't know and, that. and kind of drove uh interest to them actually writing that book right oh that's fantastic i didn't know that yeah yeah so i definitely recommend this uh easily worth it if it's on sale i ended up paying full price for it because i forgot to buy it when it was on sale um but i i i think i got my ten dollars worth out of this book oh yeah definitely just for the art alone, um, it's it's very rereadable. Oh yeah, yeah. And next week we are going to be reading uh, Batman: Death by Design by Chip Kidd and um, Dave Taylor. Uh, that was on sale in last week's uh, end of the year DC Comics sale and Comicsology. Uh, hopefully, it's a book you either own already in print. If not, you know, pick it up at your local store. Pick it up on Comixology and uh, tune in next week where we, we're going to go in depth on that book. Yeah. Yeah. So what else did you read this week? Uh, well, I read Justice League number 47. That was the first book I read. It like Our flight was leaving at six in the morning to Jamaica on Wednesday. And uh-huh. I had to be up at 4 a.m. to like, you know, finish just packing and getting yeah, ready. Like, what, and all that. Yeah, just to get out the door. Like, we we're already packed, but you know, call the Uber and go. And I saw that DC's books were already out, so I was like, download. And, uh, you know, that was the first thing I read at the airport. Oh, man. I loved it. Uh, yeah, so did I. Uh, Jeff Johns is so great at doing, um, just hitting characters right on the nose totally. with, with like a panel or two. And there's a scene where um, Superman, who is, you know, has all his worst characteristics come out and is kind of possessed by this, uh, uh, the dark sun pits of apocalypse right. that has powered him. And um, uh, he's, you know, wants to fight Steve Trevor and Wonder Woman. And Wonder Woman throws a lasso around, the lasso of truth around him and asks him who he is. And, uh, you know, he says, Superman. And then he asks her, she asks again and then like you know when he finally calms down and so you know he's the truth he says clark kent yeah and i thought that was just you know that was perfect for both characters you know wonder woman finding a way to not fight is like how she how she rolls and uh that clark kent is truly who superman is yeah it was a it was a nice way to show that superman is clark um without like him saying, you know, Clark Kent is who I am, Superman's the mask. Like, right. It, it, was, it was nice to, like, you know, but word it differently. Right. Um, I, and I loved, I just love the scene of Hal on his green energy Barker lounger sitting next, you know, floating next to um, Batman in the Mobius chair. Um, and Hal even has like an empty beer can and a half eaten bag of potato chips all made out of green energy. Um, 
Green Lantern Ring still can't make me a sub, so it's not the best you know thing in the world. That's a story for, conversation for another day. Uh, but those two pages right there, it's just like the, the Diana and Clark scene. Um, you just get at the heart of who Hal is and who Batman is right on that one splash page. Right. Yeah. Uh, Jason Fittyback, really, like, great art this issue. So dynamic. I love his fight scenes. I love the emotion he puts into people's faces. I love, like, just even when uh, when they're breaking into Bell Reef Prison and there's a big commotion up top and it's just, like, Mr. Miracle's smiling face and he's like, oh, my wife's doing that. And, <laughs> like, just the smile on his face and the smile in his eyes, like, he captures the character so perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was really interesting seeing, you know, what is going on with this story as it goes. Uh, Balthoom is getting much more powerful, and uh, the Anti-Monitor has become Mobius. Yeah. Not the French artist, but a... Well, he has released his uh, anti-life power. Right. Uh, um, uh, Braille has taken control of it. Yeah. Now he's back to the original new god he was, uh, according to this origin that Jeff Johns has been telling the story. Yeah. Um, uh, and he definitely does have a Kirby new god's look about him. Yeah. You know, despite being created a decade after the New Gods. <laughs> this is true. Uh, uh, and I'm, I'm really excited that uh, uh, the crime syndicate is reemerging here. Yeah, even Grid. I'm glad they were able to bring Grid back, who has repossessed Cyborg. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just, I read uh, Cyborg number four this week. Right. And um, it seems like they're setting up uh, another, you know, uh, arch nemesis for Cyborg. And this is like an evil program that has taken control of his mother from another dimension. I was like, when is Cyborg going to get a villain from his not a parallel universe? Yeah, totally. Also, mother from another dimension. Brother, is, is that like brother from another mother? <laughs> Somewhat, yes. Okay. <laughs> You're my mother from another dimension. Doesn't have the same room to it. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so what else did you read? Uh, I also read Squadron Supreme number two. Did you did you pick that up? I'm I assuming you that did. Up. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. And I liked it a lot. Um, it was kind of the exact opposite of what we read in issue number one. Yeah, I liked it a lot as well. Um, I have a theory about this, this kind of like uh alien um conspiracy that that nighthawk has has uncovered mm -hmm. and it's I, I it almost seems like um the alien races here are the same ones that were in the uh the four cities in the, you know jonathan hickman's fantastic four run mm. that like the the universal inhumans involved right. like the badoon the horse like uh what are they called the Kamari or something like that. The yeah, guys yeah, from yeah. Power Pack. Um, yeah, and the Badoon were here too. I was like, if we start seeing Dire Wraiths and, uh, you know, the Kree, then I'm, I'm going to be like, oh, okay. James Robinson's been reading his Jonathan Hickman. I only know this because I've been basically like binging on Hickman's Fantastic Four run. I took your advice and started with Fantastic Four Dark Reign 
and I've made it through the death of the Human Torch, and I'm now in F the FF series. And uh, are you enjoying it? Well, I'm enjoying it tremendously. I'm wondering what I'm going to do when I run out of it. Either am I going to jump into the next Fantastic Four series, um, where you know, with uh, with Allred and Bagley, uh, with Fraction, or if I'm going to jump into Hickman's Avengers run because this was all spurred on by how good Secret Wars was. Right, and all that stuff leads to Secret Wars. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, I might I might jump to the Avengers because, but then depending on how much I'm enjoying it, I might just plow through the next run of Fantastic Four until I get to James Robinson's run and just yeah. you know, read that through to the end. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, um, yeah that, that, that series is great. Um, with uh, Nighthawk, uh, you know, um, in his portion of this story where he is, you know, looking at this, uh, this alien uh, race coming, coming to Earth, um, and uh, whatever this conspiracy is, um, he talks about like um, how he's like setting up this new business under this name, and I'm like, how did he get all this wealth? Yeah, like he's from an, a parallel universe. Like, That's a good point. Did his wealth transfer with him? Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know if that was an oversight on James Robinson's part, or like if there's like a hidden story in there somewhere. Um, or maybe now both. Yeah, maybe we we're gonna have to tweet this at James Robinson. Be like, hey, where where Nighthawk get all this money? <laughs> yeah, how's he setting up all these uh, corporations? And then he'll be like, oh uh, yeah, uh, I explained that in issue eleven. Yeah, that's it, eleven. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really liked that. Like this was, you know, the first issue was like, you know, intense action. You know, crazy things happened, and this is kind of a down issue in that you're seeing you're getting a nicer introduction to each of the characters on the team so now you're knowing like their personalities what what how they're feeling about this new universe they're looking at. yeah you, we get to see a lot of them on their day off including hyperion and blur and uh dr spectrum um and i i you know james robinson seems to just really excel at that like showing superheroes in real clothing you know mm -hmm. and like what they're doing when they're not punching each other <laughs> they're being normal people i but really I love know. these alex ross covers like looking at this it's like oh i said this last week it's like oh man yeah namor's head is not attached to anything while it's in hyperion's hands it looks like he has him in a headlock but really he's just like kind of like uh, using his head like a bowling ball <laughs> Yeah, um, I was reading, um, uh, I, I, I saw someone say something and they like had a, a, an attachment to the, to the cover and they were like, spoilers, after, you know, the death, uh, death of Namor. And like, I'm like, we posted the cover. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That is a decapitated head, my friend. Yes. Uh, so yeah, did you read anything else uh, this week? Um, no, for me it was just like I've been reading a lot of Marvel Unlimited. I basically was, uh, you know, on two long flights. Well, not too, too long, like two flights, long enough to be grateful that Marvel Unlimited lets you have 12 books saved for offline reading. And right. I've just been going through Hickman's Fantastic Four run. 
Well, also catching up on uh, some Secret Wars tie-ins. The past few weeks, they've been adding a lot of Secret Wars books. We've got Secret Wars now up through number four on there. And then uh, we're hitting like issues two and three of a lot of the uh, the tie-ins and getting the first issues of a lot of the later tie-ins. So uh, I've been I've been really just plowing through those. Cool. Yeah, but I just found myself enjoying the Hickman stuff so much that I was just saving more and more Hickman Fantastic Four for offline reading just so I could like binge through them and not have to worry about downloading anything. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, what about you? What did you read? Well, I uh, reread Black Science Volume 1, and then mm -hmm. I read Volumes 2 and 3 by Rick Remender and um, Matteo Scarella. Scarella? Yeah. Scalera. Scalera. Yeah. And Dean White. Um, and, uh, you know, this book just so reminds me of the Fantastic Four. Um, and in not like the loving, great family way, it's a dysfunctional Fantastic Four uh, yeah. plowing their way through um, various uh, alternate universes. And, um, man, uh, it's, it's such a good book. Um, it, it, it makes me uh i don't know purposefully or not but you know the way that the characters have been talking and, and about uh their role in all of these different uh, uh uh universes that they're traveling through and you know uh what you know if um if there are parallel universes right and is there anything is there a such thing as free will because what you've chosen to do in this universe, in theory, you know, um, you have chosen to do the opposite or, uh, or make a completely different decision from the opposite or the direction you have taken in this universe at that time. Um, and, um, you know, uh, so, you know, is, is there any such thing as free will, you know, if, if, uh, parallel universes exist in that type of theory. And then, you know, I started thinking about, you know, parallel universes really as um, how we read about them in science fiction is, is very much like a, you know, a me-centric theory, you know, like that the sun revolves around us guys, you know, that it's the decisions that we make, you know, as people who create these parallel universes is not something else you know um which you know seems you know so so silly you know when you think about it like what i choose to do uh every second of the day does that create a parallel universe or is it like a big thing that i do or do i not count you know mm -hmm. but in stories everybody always counts but right. even if you think about parallel universes in that sense like if uh, you are someone who is important to this universe, uh, so much so that you can create a device that would transport you to another parallel universe, right? So right. In, in making that choice and being successful at creating a uh, universe traveling device, um, there is another reality where you don't you're not successful. So yeah. if, if that is the case, then 
you jumping into a, a whole multiverse where you are the create, you know, you have created this thing. Does that mean that spurns, uh, spurs off another multiverse from that moment where you don't? Yeah, I remember like being a kid and reading about parallel dimensions and having the same, like the same reaction where like, are there really like an infinite number of Earths where the only difference between my Earth and like the next one is that in my Earth, I ate a Twix gingerbread uh, candy bar a couple of minutes ago. And in the other Earth, it was a regular Twix bar. Right. And I feel uh, like that's much more a, a literary investigation of the parallel universe theory than what actually would happen. Like, I feel like if there is another reality, you know, maybe what's different is like the laws of physics and it interacts with our um, universe to make, you know, like gravity possible or, you know, you know, things like that, you know, like, or to, you know, that that's where black holes lead or, you know, something, you know, crazy like that, or maybe there's not life as we know it on, on, on that parallel world. Mm. Um, but not as fun as, you know, Jay Garrett. Yeah, totally. Um, but anyway, it's a very thought provoking series. Um, and it, you know, much like Huck, which I was talking about last week, where Mark Millar is doing a, a different spin on Superman. Um, this seems like it's a, a spin on the Fantastic Four, which doesn't look much like the Fantastic Four uh, in a good way. You know, it, it's, it's creative freedom. And uh, I was just actually reading that um, the reason why George Lucas created Star Wars was because uh, the uh, film production company he was working for at the time or, you know, had a contract with or whatever, they wouldn't let him do a Flash Gordon movie. And he's like, all right, well, I'm going to make my own Flash Gordon. Oh, interesting. And so if they would have let him make Flash Gordon, we would have never gotten Star Wars. But, um, you know, so, you know, there are many things that, you know, Star Wars has owes Flash Gordon, uh, obviously. Uh, and But as you could see, like, when you take an idea, but then make it your own, you know, something greater could come from that, uh, yeah. much like Star Wars. And, you know, I'm not saying Black Science is better than Fantastic Four or, or not, but it's something different and something, you know, uh, uh, as, as interesting. And I think people will really enjoy it. And it's in the same vein. So like, you know, I think people will, will definitely like reading it if they like the Fantastic Four. Yeah. I, yeah. I read Black Science Volume 1. I liked it a lot. And then I just fell behind on the series. It's one of those books that I keep, like, I, I think I have unread issues on my iPad. And mm. so every time, like, they have a sale, I'm like, I really need to read the ones I bought already. Right. Um, outside of that, I'll, I'll say, I, oh, I read uh, Dr. Fate number seven, uh, where um, this new Dr. Fate's origin has finally come to a close. It was pretty satisfying. Um, I, I really liked it. Um, I can't wait to see where Paul Levitz takes this Dr. Fate um, on his, his journey. Um, and I've been also still reading uh, the old Fate series that uh, DC has been putting out digitally. Um, yeah, how, how, and those two have been almost like paralleling each other a little bit, right? Right, and I mean, a new 
they're putting up a new issue each week of this old fate series so it's it's running much quicker than you know the new dr fate series um but right now we're we're getting into a part where they're setting up a big bad and they're they're getting to a point where they're like let's stop trying to make him such the anti-hero like where he still is where he says like you know things like i don't do things you know the hero's way or whatever you know right dopey things like that where, <laughs> like, you know but uh you know now he's teamed up with zatanna and like the this book actually, I think, if I was reading it correctly, I think Zatanna stopped doing backwards magic in the 90s for a while. And this was like, let's bring that back. Um, so we have fate to thank for that. Um, ah. I'm sure that would have happened at some point anyway. Um, but that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, there's uh, two uh, issue is where he's teamed up with Alan Scott, the Green Lantern. And, you know, they don't have the greatest relationships. And but they're they're it's setting up a big bad who has been uh, amongst other magicians in the DC universe have been trying to uh, pilfer things from the uh, Tower of Fate, which had been uh, destroyed in Fate Number Zero uh, uh, during the death of Kent and Lindsay Nelson. So uh, it, uh, it it's it's it was a pretty good three issue reads, you know, like. A lot of them weren't like the greatest stories, but like they were, they were all right, you know. Um, some seemed like a little bit fillerish, you know. Gotcha. Um, but now it feels like we're on to like the next big arc. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's it's interesting how that series seems to have aged well with time. Yeah, you know it 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 does and it doesn't. You know, like if you. Okay read the the story for what it is it's great but like it's like it's a it's a fun read but it's also at the same time like very 90s at some point gotcha. you know for where you're like oh man like like i feel like editors are like oh well, we've got to make this a little 90s you know <laughs> they weren't saying that in the 90s but you know they were like we've got to compete with uh, these image guys you know yeah totally um, outside of that, I read Justice League 3001, number five. Um, and uh, this introduced the new Batman, who is like a killer Batman um, in a Kingdom Come type uh, robot suit. And um, but being that it's Justice League 3001, it's done with humor. And inside is like a teenage girl named <laughs> Tina Sung, <laughs> but she goes by the name Bruce Wayne. Nice. And uh, so, like, Batman's arguing with her that that's not really how Bruce Wayne is because he's really Bruce Wayne when we all know he's not really exactly Bruce Wayne. Right. And he's getting upset because as they're tracking this guy uh, or this girl down, um, Supergirl is constantly saving Batman. And he's, like, you know, just uh, angry that, you know, he's being saved by Supergirl. And that's not how Batman works. <laughs> <laughs> that's really um, funny. So yeah, that that series continues to be great, but uh, yeah, that's yeah, another that, series I need to catch up on. That's that's about all I read this week. And this is it. Kind of like is annoying in that there are just too many good comics out there right now. Yeah, yeah. So um, I would say you know uh, 
that that book was just recently reduced so that was like a dollar 99 so um yeah uh go and pick that up nice um yeah you send that kind of wraps it up for us this week i think we had a pretty long episode um it, it flew by flew by flew by for us i hope it flew by for you guys as well um, and make sure you read uh batman death by design by chip kid next for next week's episode yeah and if you guys don't know who chip kid is he's a really famous graphic designer and he's uh he's done a lot of famous book covers um yeah like uh he did a lot of uh uh, Haruki Murakami's uh, books. Um, he's done a lot of. Uh, he, he's done. A, I think maybe his most famous is uh, the Lost World book uh, from Michael Crichton. Okay, totally. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a bunch of stuff you could you look him up on the internet. He has a pretty cool site of uh, his his work that's notable, um, and he's done a lot of work for DC Comics as far as like trade dress and stuff like that um so yeah yeah i actually got to hear him speak about book cover design at the brooklyn book festival last year oh that's uh, awesome yeah it was really cool uh i guess it, it must have been the 2014 one i don't know if i went to the 2015 one <laughs> years are just flying by um but yeah it was cool to hear him talk about about book cover design and they also had another um cover designer there so they compared and contrasted like what they look for as like good design elements mm -hmm. yeah but um yeah i'm excited to read this book death by design um and this is he had done a previous batman book too but that was more it wasn't a batman comic right it was more a like like a tribute to batman kind of book um i think you're thinking about that batman manga book yeah yeah, he does like a lot of books where he they're like coffee table books where right. he'll design like, you know, like there'll be like looks at Batman manga. And so like um, he'll design and I don't know if he'll write everything about it, um, okay. not, but he'll do like, you know, I know he's done that for like Shazam um, and, and other other things like that. Gotcha. But right. I've never right. investigated them fully to explain what yeah. he does creatively on those books. Yeah, not, not, neither have I. Um, cool. But we are definitely both going to be reading uh, Batman Death by Design for next week. And uh, we look forward to it. And I hope you guys do too. And thank you for listening. And have an awesome uh, Tuesday night. That was a long run-on sentence. I think I used the word and like five times. But and you know, see you next week. Yeah. We may or may not have a ward by then. Because we are in year three. Yeah. Na 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 year three, year three, year three.